<clears throat> this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to begin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I uh, just want to uh, mention that uh, we're, we're planning. Alicia Copa, who most of you know, has requested a fast uh, for uh, the children of us all. Her, her requesting for her son and her two children to, to be saved, and also some amongst us who have children that are not yet saved, they're adults or teenagers and adults that, and uh, she asked if we could fast, and Monday is the day that she asked that we could uh, have uh, for a time of fast before the, uh, that request. So if anybody would like to join us in that, we can talk more about it afterwards, uh, but uh, the fast will be for tomorrow. So anyone interested, uh, uh, we, we would uh, encourage and invite you to uh, join us in that. Okay, Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse one, to verse four. Verse <clears throat> now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this is commonly known, this person, that... Is being talked about here is commonly known as the Antichrist. And we live in the age of Antichrist, but it says that before the Antichrist is revealed, and this is a, pro a prophetic word that Paul is speaking here, he said something's going to happen before the Antichrist is revealed. And we see that events are leading up, that somewhere down the road the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And he said this is one, one of the many events is going to happen is that there's going to be what he refers to as the great falling away, or in the King James Version it says the word apostasy. The word apostasy or falling away, it talk, what is it talking about? What does it mean? It's referring to Christendom, to those who, profess, those who are professing Christ, and over the course of time, they fall away from Christ. And that will be the subject of today's uh, meeting, or this lesson here, is that the Bible talks about falling away. And it's con there's controversy controversy in Christianity whether that can actually happen to a Christian. But here we see that among those who profess Christ, it is certainly true, because Paul talks about it in plain language. And he says before the, re the revealing of the Antichrist, that this is going to happen. Corruption in Christendom. 
And so, we read further in verse 9, day verses 9 to 13. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord. Um, And so, it talks about the Antichrist will come and deceive those who perish because they wouldn't receive the love of the truth. It doesn't say that they wouldn't receive the truth, they wouldn't receive the love of the truth. So it's a little more complex than that. And it goes on to say, for this reason, God is going to allow a strong delusion to come in to this planet. And it says that they're going to believe a lie. And they'll be condemned because they had pleasure in unrighteousness and refused to believe the truth. But he talks about those who God chose. And it says, from the beginning, God chose you for salvation through sanctification or holiness or separation by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. The book of Hebrews talks about following peace with all men and holiness, sanctification, separation without which no man shall see the Lord. Those who are following the leading of the Holy Spirit have come to understand and connect with the fact that God is leading us to a holy life, a life of sanctification and separation from the world and the way of the world, the thinking of the world and the and the customs and the and the and the culture of the world that's ungodly. All the things that are of the world that are not of God. The Bible says that the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. But we're to separate ourselves from that influence. You know, well, Why do we talk about such negative things? Because we read them in the New Testament. There's a Christian radio station that says talks about a positive, encouraging message. If you know know the the, and I don't have a problem with that because the gospel is a positive and encouraging message. If we embrace it, if we follow it, if we believe it. Otherwise, it could be a pretty scary and uh, negative message. One of condemnation. And so that's why the warnings are in here. And today, this is focusing those who are professing Christ or profess they believe in Jesus. Many times, I've talked to people who say they believe in Jesus. Say, well, but... 
And then they begin to talk about all the reasons why they're compromising. All the reasons why they know it's God saying, but. And over the course of time, as they talk, they reveal their rebellion against God. It's not my judgment. It's against what God is saying. This is God's judgment. This is God's word, not yours or mine. And so we call to take heed to it. So the next place we want to look at is in Luke chapter 8. Luke 8, 13. This is, again, the parable of the sower and the soil. Verses uh, 13 through 15. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, Keep it and bear fruit with patience. Okay. So in this parable, of course, we've read this. Jesus talks about the different types of hearts. The first soil is the heart of the unbeliever. But the next three are the hearts of those who profess Christ, who are believers. Or at least the, 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 the ones that on the stony ground, it says... The ones on the rock, this would say, I actually translate a rock, not a stony ground, but on the rock, rock hard, a hardened heart. And because of this, it says they believe for a while. But in time of temptation, they fall away. Other passages that record this also talk about temptation and persecution because of the Word of God. Persecution for being a Christian. For these reasons, it says, they believe for a time until they're persecuted or until they're tested or tempted. And then they fall away from the Lord because they harden their heart to the Word. Their heart is hard. And so they don't continue in the Lord. Or it says they don't endure in some passages of this, of this, of this passage, some um, accounts of this passage. And it talks about the ones, the thorny ground are those whose hearts are full of the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of, of money and riches and, and, and materialism and the evil lust and the evil desires of this world and many things. They're caught up in the world, the way of the world. And so they hear the word and they profess Christ, but then they get the word of God gets choked out of them. They fall away also. They don't bear any fruit of rightness, is what it says. They don't continue following the Lord either. Because they're all choked up with the way of the world and the way of the flesh and the influence, the sway, the influence of the devil. But then there are those, it says, 
The ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep and bear fruit with patience. So it said, well, we have to have a good heart. In the Old Testament it says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. So, if our human hearts are all deceptive and, and full of wickedness, then who can be saved? <clears throat> that is why we need a Savior. That is why we need to have our hearts changed. That's why we need to be born again, to be born of the Spirit. We need to be saved. That's why the word saved is in the Bible, because we need to be saved from ourselves, from our human nature, our, our sinful nature that we inherit from, from Adam and Eve. From the time we are born, we're, we have corruption that begins to show, us, show itself at a very early age begins to manifest itself. By the time we're a little child, that corruption begins to manifest itself. And it continues on until it's full-blown. In order for us to bear good fruit, there needs to be a real change of heart. Not just a profession, not just saying, yeah, I believe that. Not just a lot of talk and, and knowledge and, and, and you know church going. There needs to be a change on the inside. Jesus said, the things that corrupt a man are not outside of him, they're inside of him. He says, from out of the heart proceed uh, the defiling things that defile a man. They come out of the heart, they come out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so that's why there needs to be a change. But you see, there's many who begin in the Lord and don't continue. Why? There's something wrong on the inside. And that needs to be changed. And so for these that have the hard heart, or the, the heart that's full of the of world and the flesh, they need to come to Christ and, and be changed for real. To be converted. Jesus said, unless your hearts become converted and become like little children, there's no way you'll enter the kingdom of God. There needs to be that change in the heart, that childlike conversion that Jesus gives us. The next one is in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Jesus is asked about the signs of His coming. The signs of the destruction of Jerusalem and the, and the temple in Jerusalem. And then also he asked, they ask about the signs of His coming. And we'll pick chapter 24 of Matthew and we'll read verses 9 to 14. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world 
as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Hmm. He's talking here that at the time of the end there will be persecution against Christians, and many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Within Christendom, there's going to be such great turmoil. And he says, he talks about false prophets deceiving, and because wickedness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. When love grows cold, when we who are in Christ stop loving, when we harden our hearts to the love of Christ, that the love has been shed abroad in our hearts. This is what's fueling the falling away. Jesus' command is to love each other as he loved us. And when we shut our hearts off to that, we may know all the other teachings and doctrines and Bible knowledge and everything else. But if we shut ourselves off to the love of the truth, to the love that Jesus has shed abroad in our hearts, our heart becomes hard. And we are in great and we be, we come into danger of falling away. This is what the falling away is about. The, the connection with what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about there first be a great falling away. This is what the great falling away is about. This is what Jesus is talking about right here, the same thing Paul is talking about. The love of many growing cold. The attitude of Christ, they heart, we harden our hearts to the attitude of Christ, we will fall away. The love of Jesus is what the gospel is all about. And this is a warning to us. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. This is a prophetic word from Jesus for our time. And that's why Paul says, let brotherly love continue. That we shouldn't be in contention with each other. That we shouldn't be strifeful and hard-hearted and bitter and unloving, the unloving spirit. Arguing and fighting, all these things. I have known a good, good many people who began in Christ and whose faith has suffered shipwreck. Paul talks about a couple of the people that he knew that, he said, whose faith suffered shipwreck in First uh, in Timothy. He was writing to, Paul was writing to Timothy. He says, I turned them over to Satan. They learned not to blaspheme. Their faith suffered shipwreck. And I've known some whose faith has suffered shipwreck. And there's one thing all of them that I've met have in common. Their love has grown cold. They are bitter and angry in their hearts. When love grows cold, we fall away. And we need to come back. We found that our love has grown cold. We need to come back to the Lord. We read in the message in the book of Revelation that Jesus sends to the first church, the Ephesian church. And He commends them all these good Christian things they're doing, but he confronts them. He says, there's one thing, only one thing I have against you. You left your first love. 
Our first love is our love for Jesus. Our love for God will cause us to love others. But the love that Jesus puts in our heart, that's shed abroad in our hearts, will cause us not only to love God, but to love others. You can say, well, this is a hard message. But again, we are reading it in the New Testament. <clears throat> the next place we want to read is in Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 1 to 4. There are several warnings we're going to read in the book of Hebrews concerning this. This is the first. This is the first of four major warnings in the book of Hebrews. To, written to Christians. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. Okay. We must give the more earnest heed, or more earnest attention, some versions say, to the things that we have heard. To pay attention to them. Jesus talked to His own disciples and told them that they were dull of hearing. That means that they kind of hardened their hearts and shut down their ears and their hearts to the message that they heard from Jesus. And he says, we must be careful to pay attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now it's interesting that he talks about drifting away. It's not Drifting away is not like falling off a cliff. They say that if you take a frog and you put him in boiling water, he'll jump out and save his life. But if you take a, a, a frog and you put him in a pot of room temperature water and you put him on the stove and you turn on the stove, that he will boil to death because it happens so subtly they don't realize that they're boiling to death. Drifting away is similar to that where we just something is coming upon somebody they don't realize. Drifting away. So we must pay careful attention to the things we heard so we don't drift away from it. And it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? No one can take it away from us, but we can neglect it. <clears throat> I remember in the old cowboy movies, I used to see as a kid that they these cowboys would go into an old ghost town. They called it a ghost town. And it was a town that, for some reason, people everybody left it. And it's an uninhabited town, and everything is all dilapidated and 
falling apart and there's tumbleweeds blowing by in the road and everything and dusty and dirty and just everything falling apart because of neglect. There's nobody there to take care of it. But we can do that with our own walk with God. We can neglect it. We can neglect this great salvation, this great thing that Jesus bought with His own blood for us. We can neglect it. I know some who are not walking with the Lord right now. And as they were started drifting away, I know we were having, I was having conversations with them. Others were having conversations with them. They well, really not praying very much right now. Really not into the Word of God. Neglecting fellowship started happening. Just watch it happening. Slowly but surely, they're getting wrapped up in the world and all the things that Jesus said, and they're drifting away. And the Lord's calling them back, just like the prodigal son. We must pay more careful attention to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away from them and not even realize it. Some people don't even realize it, that what was coming upon them. How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And God bearing witness with this great salvation too. Signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The next one is in Hebrews chapter 3. Dave, I'm going to go through this one because kind of, kind of, kind of go through, pick around on this one. Hebrews 3, 6, beginning in verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm into the end. Verse 14. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Saying the same thing in both of those verses, right? Yes. And what is he saying? He says we are God's house, Christ over God is the son over God's house, whose house we are if, and the word if is used in both of them, if we Hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of our hope firm unto the end. It says the same thing in both of them. And Jesus said it, we read it already. He who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. This is a race. Paul talked about running a race. He says, I have run the race. Now I'm going to get the crown. He's talking about the end of his life. This is a race. And it is not a 100-yard dash. It's not a 40-yard dash. It's not the 220. It's a marathon. It's an endurance race. He who continues in the end, he who endures to the end, remember, the stony ground, they didn't endure in time. They hardened their heart. But he who endures to the end holds fast the confidence 
and rejoicing of their hope firm to the end. We are God's house. We are the ones. We are the elect. The house of God. Those, the, the body of Christ. Those who continue to the end. And we will prove that we are the elect of God as we continue to the, to the end. And it says in verse 15, Today if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as the Israelites did in the day of rebellion. <clears throat> it's all about today. Jesus talks about sufficient for today is the evil thereof. Take no thought for tomorrow. We continue one day at a time in Christ as we're confronted by today. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts like the stony ground. Don't let the Word of God find a rock in our hearts, but embrace and let God do the work that He desires to do in our heart, not to harden our hearts to the Word. Because as we've read, it's God who is at work in us. In verse 16 it says, For for who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was was he angry with for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not obey. So they see, we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. We see two things being talked about here interchangeably. Unbelief and disobedience. And isn't it interesting how they work together? Unbelief hardens the heart and leads to rebellion. Unbelief, Abraham believed God I was counted to him as righteousness. If we harden our hearts in unbelief, it leads to disobedience. Verse 12 says, Brothers, beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But encourage one any one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And it is telling us how our hearts get hardened through unbelief and deceitfulness of sin. That's what hardens a person's heart. And that's how love grows cold. And so the responsibility of the Christian fellowship for one another, to encourage one another. That's why fellowship is so important, to be encouragement to one another. It's not just the job of a few to encourage everybody else, the leaders of a church. It says brothers, that's everybody. To be involved in each other's life in a a way that we can be an encouragement to each other. Lest our hearts be hardened with the deceitfulness of sin. Lest there be any of you 
an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But encourage one another daily, one another daily. So you see the importance of fellowship and encouraging one another and the warning of unbelief and the deceitfulness of playing with sin. In the book of Proverbs it says, Can a man take fire into his bosom, into his into his into himself, and not be burned? Playing with fire, playing with the deceitfulness of sin. And the belief that we can compromise a little bit, embrace sin just a little bit, and somehow we'll come back and just kind of come back and forth and back and forth. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's the subtlety of drifting away. Chapter 6. Of Hebrews, verses 4 to 12. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. This is a scary passage to many. I've talked to some that have struggled and drifted away and have trying to come back and they see something like this, like, oh no, have I gone too far? If there's a desire to come back, and seeking to come back, you have not gone too far. And so, it says impossible for those, and it talks about a great many things, and it says that they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word, the powers of the age to come. So they've had experience with the power of the Holy Spirit, and but they fall away. And this is a complete falling away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. There are some 
who have come to this place, and we don't know where this line is drawn. So where is this line drawn? We don't know. It's hard to see. But one of the things we see is somebody has come to the place of maturity and of experience in Christ to some greater extent, but we don't know where. <laughs> and it says that they fall away. And it, we read in uh, Peter's letter where he talks about those who have been overtaken and overcome. And we don't know where that point is, where they're overcome, complete, overcome. So, but it is a, this is written here to those who can hear that this is a warning to not drift away, to not harden your hearts, and to understand that you've been what we've been called to. We've been called to holiness and to not reject the Word of God, to not reject the Spirit of holiness, to not reject the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is leading us, the falling away happens to those who reject the leading of the Holy Spirit. Those who are rejecting the Holy Spirit are rejecting God. But he then brings forth a positive message. Brothers, we have a we have a are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak this way. He said we're speaking these words of great warning. He said, but we're more confident of better things for you. It says, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed. So if we're bearing thorns and, and thistles, he says, there's a danger that if you continue down this road of God's judgment. And it is a warning, and it's written for us to come back if we've drifted away. Come back to the Lord. And again, in verse 11, it says, We desired each one of you show the same diligence to full assurance of hope to the end. Again, enduring to the end. That you don't become sluggish, that you don't become lazy in your walk with God. Sluggish. You know, you know what that's all about. Don't have time for God. Lazy, spiritually lazy. I'll get to that later. I had a guy tell me, well, that's the Gospels for when you're old. I believe in Jesus. He actually told me this. Oh, that's for when you're old. Then you get ready with God when you're old. Really? What if time doesn't continue on that far? What if we don't make it to our old? Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not to put it off till tomorrow. Today is the day to get right with God. No matter who you are. Today if you hear His voice, we read earlier, don't harden your heart. If God is telling you you're doing something wrong, if God is telling you to repent of your sins and follow Jesus, don't harden your heart. But heed the call. Heed, take, Listen to His call.
And the last one is in chapter 10. Chapter 10. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I'm sorry, verses 23. (laughs) Um, 23 to 31. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and much more, much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm -hmm. Again, back to verse 23, he talks about, again, about holding fast the confession of our faith without wavering. To receive the promises of God, there must be a continuance in Christ. And then he talks after that about not forsaking the assembly, but encouraging one another daily. Isn't that interesting? Again, he's talking about the responsibility of us towards each other, to encouraging one another, exhorting one another daily. It's said in the last passage, and it says, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. It's judgment is coming. And there's a responsibility to be an encouragement to one another. Meeting together and encouraging one another. Not just to be encouraged, but to be an encourager of others. That's part of loving your brother. is to encourage him, to exhort him, and and to lift him up. Coming to a meeting is not just about, quote, being encouraged, but being an encouragement to one another. And not just in meetings, but as part of life, as we're involved in each other's life. And then it talks about sinning willfully. He's saying to do this so we... And and then the warning of sinning willfully. There's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a certain, certain... fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour adversaries. I remember when I was a young Christian, I fell into sitting willfully. Not hard to do. And I can tell you this, 
that I was scared. I was scared the whole time. I, I was fearing and trembling on the inside. I remember sometimes even shaking and sit, while sitting willfully. Feeling on the inside. Not my hands shaking, but I remember fear on the inside. And so God called me away from that and called me and called me and to the point where God showed me it wasn't worth it and I had to get out of there. Get away from that, those things that are wrong and sinful. When we know the truth, we're held responsible. To whom much is given, much is required. When we've heard the truth, we're not like other people anymore. We're responsible for what we've heard. That's why we have to pay more close attention to the things we've heard. And to embrace them and to walk in them. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Come back to the Lord. And come back under His grace is what He's saying. here. That's why it's written here. To warn those who have drifted away. And for those who haven't drifted away, to, warn, to, to, be, to help them. To come back, to encourage them, and to pray for them. And to reach out to them. And he talks about in the Old Testament, those who rejected the law of Moses in Israel died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified an uncommon, as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. If we sin willfully, we're trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot. Understand the nature of what God has called us to. He has called us into the life of His Son Jesus. To be born of the Spirit. And this is not something to be taken lightly. Because if we sin willfully, it says we're trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot. And insulting the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of grace. And the covenant that He's called us to is something common. Something not to be really taken that seriously. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, taking it lightly. Taking this calling of the gospel and, and, and being a Christian, taking it lightly. And sinning willfully when we know it's wrong. If that's where, who we are and where we are, if we find ourselves in this place, God is, the Good Shepherd is coming looking for you. The Holy Spirit is calling you. I heard a preacher one time called the Holy Spirit the Hound of Heaven. And you know a hound dog, when they get on the trail of something, they don't give up. They, 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 they get on that trail and they, they, they're just very persistent. And so is the, and that's why that preacher called it that, that they continue to bring that message and continue to deal with the conscience and hound the conscience and, and just persevere a nagging feeling in the conscience when we're sinning willfully. Now some will say, well, I don't want to sin willfully, but I, I can't help myself. And to that we say, 
God has given us His nature. To come into Christ, come back to Christ, and He gives us the power to overcome the things that we don't seem to have the power over in our human nature. Jesus died for that purpose. When Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to have a baby as a virgin, he told him what to name her. He said, His name shall be Jesus, for He shall save His people from His sins, from their sins. He shall save us from our sins, not in our sins. He calls us out of our sin to repent. And if we've drifted away and gone back into the way of sin, He's calling us back. Follow me, Jesus said. Come to me, Jesus said. So we read also in the end of Hebrews 10, verses 35 to 39. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who, who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. All right. Now here it's talking about those who draw back, to those who go astray, to those who fall away. They don't continue in Christ. They don't continue believing to the saving of their soul. He talks about those who draw back and fall back into perdition. Those who draw back. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The prodigal son is about a son who leaves the father. And the father waits for him to come back and looking for him to come back. And when the son comes back, he runs and embraces him and accepts him. So those who have drifted from the Lord, he's calling them back. And if they come back, you will receive them again. In the book of James, as we close on that, in the book of James, it says, Brothers, if any of you, if anyone among you, uh, <laughs> escapes my errors from the faith, falls away. If anyone brings him back, know that he that... I'm just going to read it. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I forget it, but I'm getting a little forgetful here. Another senior moment. Yeah. Um, 
Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, if someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Help to turn them back. Pray for them that God will restore them. The Bible tells us to encourage the faint-hearted. We can, in a way, as it says here, save a soul from death. To encourage them to come back. To help to restore them. God can use us amongst the brethren who have drifted away. Who are no longer among us. Or people out there in Christendom who have had the same experience. We can help to restore them. Galatians 6.1 I was going to just quote it, but I'm not going to take any chances now since I already butchered James, which I've quoted a thousand times. I don't know why I can't remember it today. Galatians chapter 6, chapter, not chapter 6, yes, chapter 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that means sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We are not to have the attitude of a Pharisee toward those who have drifted away or have got caught up in sin. The attitude of a Pharisee or an attitude of judgmental attitude is not what it's telling us here. But we're to add the attitude of Christ. Jesus tried to restore those who had been caught up in their sins. If someone is overtaken or caught in sin, try to restore them. Pray for them that God will change their heart. And come to acknowledge the truth and escape the snare of the devil. Having been taken captive to the snare, the trap of the devil, to do the, the devil's will and not God's will. Consider ourselves. I've heard this come out of the mouth of Christians, and even out of my, I know out of my mouth too, until God showed me how wrong it was. Well, I would never have done something like that, you know, about other Christians who have done something. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you don't know what we would be. All I know is I... I, I, I forgot a little bit where I came from way back when. And I, God had to remind me. You know, if it wasn't for me, do you remember where you would have been? Do you, do you remember the dark road you were on? We all have the potential of great evil things, whether we see it or not. But for the grace of God, that's who we could be. It is an act of God's grace. Not us being great and good people. It's the grace of God that led us to repentance. It's the goodness of God 
that leads us to repentance. It's His goodness, not our goodness. And if we see somebody that has gone astray doing evil things, or is unsaved and doing evil things, the last thing in the whole wide world that we want to do is sniff our nose at that person, or turn our nose at him, or, or shut off our hearts towards that person. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts for this. The attitude of Jesus. Let the attitude of Jesus be in us, it says in Philippians chapter 2. If not, this is the time. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if judgment begins with us, who, what will happen to those who do not obey the gospel? what Peter says. Judgment is coming because apostasy is in full swing. Prophecy is being fulfilled in our very lifetime as we see and, and observe strange and ungodly things happening in Christendom. I could, make, I could just go down the whole list. I'm not going to do it. That's a subject for another day. But apostasy is happening. But as Jesus said, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So encourage one another while it is called today. And exhort one another daily. That's what I have today. Brothers, the grace of